Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Aaron, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors um, at Exilic. And for those of you who are uh, joining our church uh, in our new space for the very first time, I want to welcome all of you. Uh, last week, we said that the church uh, is not a building, uh, but it's the people. But if the people don't have a space and a place uh, to gather together, uh, it can be very difficult to have a sense of community with God and community with uh, one another as well, which we all experienced during the early days of the pandemic. And so I want all of you to know that uh, this space, uh, this space is for you. Uh, this main space is for worship. Um, this space is for our community groups. And so we want you to know that this new space is for you. But what we also want you to know is that we want to steward this place well. So we not only want to use it for our church, but we want to use a space uh, in collaboration with other ministries and organizations because our church is not big enough uh, to reach our entire city. It's going to take partnerships and collaboration with other groups and organizations uh, if we're going to reach our city. But you know what? Collaboration is also not enough with other institutions and organizations. The other piece of the puzzle is not just collaboration, but it's also activation of God's people. So that's equally as important. And so this ties in very nicely with our DNA series, which consists of three things. Our unique name, which Dr. Harvey talked about two weeks ago. Our mission, which I talked about last week, which is plastered on our banners. And thirdly, our vision which we're gonna talk about today. Now, oftentimes, uh, organizations interchangeably talk about their mission and their vision, but mission and vision are two different things. Your mission is what you want to do. Your vision, however, is who you want to be as a result of executing that mission. And our vision, if we can put that up, is 21st century disciples who think critically, and act positively. So that's who we want you to be. On the one hand, our creeds and doctrines and, and the word never changes. On the other hand, our world has drastically changed over the past few thousand years. And so we want you to navigate this space by thinking critically and acting positively. Now that can read a little bit clunky. So another way of talking about it is, is who do we want you to be? Very simply put, we want you to be an extension of Jesus' head, his heart, and his hands uh, for our world and our city. And the more we are like that, the more our city and our world will be like that uh, as well. Now, whenever um, leaders sometimes talk about this, this kind of stuff, it often stays up in a sort of theoretical level. And so I want to make this as practical as possible. Because if we're going to see a movement of the gospel take place in our city, we have to make it a little bit more tangible. So there are 10 projects uh, that I'm borrowing from, from some of the works of Tim Keller that I want to talk about if we're really going to think critically and act positively about. Okay? And they are as follows. By the way, there's a lot more than 10 that could be listed. 
but just 10 uh, for our purposes today. Firstly, we need to see church planting movements take place at a trans-denominational level. So Pentecostals are not enough to reach our city. Baptists, Anglicans, Presbyterians are not enough to reach our city. And so we need um, all of the body of Christ together to be uh, working to start new churches. And the reason for that right now is because churches are actually closing faster than they are opening. And so if we're going to see a movement of the gospel take place, what we need to see are churches opening twice as fast as they are closing. Okay, so we need to see church planning movements take place. Secondly, we need a network of prayer. Uh, now that we have our own space, we want to resurrect our prayer brunches uh, because no movement will ever take place without prayer. Just study any movement throughout history, always started with prayer. Thirdly, we need to update our Christian education and spiritual formation. Uh, and so what does it look like to follow Jesus today in our 21st century? And so we need to update our Christian education because the word of God is timeless, but we need to learn how to contextualize it into our context. Fourthly, we need post-Christian evangelism. Uh, in the past, Christianity was always seen as untrue, but today it's not only seen as untrue, but Christianity is seen as dangerous. So what does it look like evangelizing in a world where Christianity is not only seen as not real, but a threat to my freedom, autonomy, sexuality, identity, whatever it might be. And we also need evangelism specialists that are engaging with the youth, college students, international students, those that are incarcerated. We need specialized evangelists as well. Fifthly, we need justice and mercy initiatives. We need faith and work initiatives, especially since we live in the most overworked city in the country. How does that look like as a Christian? We need lay people and leaders in various churches regularly meeting to, together to discuss what our city needs. And uh, having lived you know, across the world and in different places in our country, I can tell you that New York City in particular, we have the best collegiality that I've ever seen amongst churches and lay leaders. And I'm really thankful for, uh, for that uh, spirit of collegiality and collaboration. Eight, we need new leadership pipelines that don't dry up. Nine, we, this is the one that I inserted, counseling centers. Because if God's people are not mentally healthy, we are not going to be able to heal the world that we live in. And so we need more counseling centers. And last but not least, we need Christian philanthropy, those that have financial capacity to help fund uh, some of these projects. Okay. Now, if we do all 10 of these things, here's the vision that will happen throughout our city. People will have a stronger sense of identity that is more stable and less based on their feelings. People will have a stronger sense of meaning and purpose in their lives beyond just making money. People, thirdly, will have stronger moral intuitions instead of a morality that is based on relativism. Fourthly, people will have stronger community ties in an age of loneliness. And fifthly, people will have a hope that goes beyond even this life. That is something worth living for. If we do those 10 things, that will happen. Stronger identity, stronger community, stronger meaning, stronger morality, stronger hope if we're able to do all of these things. Now, the skeptical of you might be thinking, this is like a grandiose vision. 
but can it be done? Like, is this like actually possible or not? And let me just say two things about that. No one institution or individual can do all 10 of these things, at least very well. But when God's people are collaborating together for the city, I do think that it can be done. Secondly, if you talk to any people that study movements, what they will tell you is that it does not take the majority to start a movement. It only takes a minority. In fact, some thought leaders have boiled it down to even 3.5% of the population. That's all you need. So if, imagine if 3.5% of New York City is protesting on a march. You don't think change will happen? Of course it will happen. It has happened. Most movements don't start with the majority. They start with the minority, whether it's the Me Too movement, BLM, or the Great Awakening. It never started with a lot of money and a lot of people, but it started with a minority of people who were highly activated, equipped, and mobilized to bring about change. And last I checked, we have more than 3.5% of Christians in our city. So this is something that is very much doable in our time if we want to see a movement of the gospel take place. And so what I want to do today is simply this. I want to activate you. You ever, you ever wake up from a deep sleep because of your alarm clock beeping in your face? What does that alarm clock do? It activates your body to wake up. So it's not just enough for us to see skeptics become Christians to see a movement, but we also need to see our sleepy Christians wake up from their slumber and be activated to go out into our city and to our world. So that's what I want to talk about today. If you took, take a look with me at verse 10a, it says this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Now, I, I broke open my Greek lexicon this week and I did an intensive study on the phrase each of you. You know what the phrase each of you means? Each of you. <laughs> it's not pastors and ministry leaders, but it's each and every one of us are called to be activated to go out into our city and, and into our world. This is why the New Testament refers to us as a priesthood of all believers. We are all priests that are called to minister to our city and to our world. And Peter goes on to say this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. And what he's implying here is that there is a cornucopia a diversity of different gifts that we all uh, have. And so one person is gifted in one area, another person is gifted in another area, but the point is there is a diversity of gifts uh, that are present in the body of Christ. And Peter actually gives two examples in verse 10 and 11a, and he says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. And so Peter gives an example of speaking and serving as two examples of gifts um, that we are called to exercise. The Apostle Paul gives another analogy of the body. And he says that uh, the body has different parts 
And so they have different roles. So the eyes have a different role than the ears. The hands have a different role than the feet. But every part of the body is very, very important. Uh, for a long time, it was thought that the appendix was not very important. And certainly, you can live without an appendix. You can also live without your hands and your feet, too. But what uh, studies are showing is that the appendix is actually quite important to our body. And similarly, what I want each and every one of you to know is that every one of you that is a part of the body of Christ is very important to the entire corpus or the body of Christ. God has uniquely invested talents and gifts specially for you. And all of us get to play a part in the, uh, in the body of Christ. And even if you don't think that you're that gifted, there is one ability that we all possess. You know what that ability is? Availability. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, when our church first started, we started with five people, uh, including me and my wife. And so I remember when we met that first Sunday, five of us. And so I said, would it be okay if we just like sat down and did a Bible study together? Because like, you know, it's like kind of awkward if I have to like stand up and preach. And they're like, no, you got to do the whole preachy, preachy thing. Get up there. And I was like, it's like there's like four of you. Though. They're like, no, just do, the, you know, this is a real Sunday service. And so I said, okay, if we're going to do a real Sunday service, then we, we need to do a real, like, let's sing, call the worship, like prayer, let's do all that. And, and they said, yeah, let's do it. And, and I said, if we do that, then I'm going to have to do double duty. I'm going to have to, you know, uh, lead the time of singing and preach because uh, I had the most experience out of the five of us, like playing in music ministry for over 20 years. And one of my friends, Dan, that was in our group, he said, don't, don't do double duty. I'll play the guitar for us. And I said, no, I know that you don't want to do it. It's okay. I'll just, I'll just do it. You know, I'll just do both. And he said, no, no, just focus on the preaching, and I'll play guitar. And, and he did it. He saw a need, and he did it. Is he the most gifted musician in the world? No, he's, he's good, but he's not the most gifted. But he saw a need, and he met that need. And he not only did it that Sunday, he did it for the next four years of our church's existence. And then Andy, seeing that Dan was dying, <laughs> stepped in and said, I don't want to, you know, I don't have a burning passion to do this too, but I see a need. I can kind of do it. And so I'll do it too. And I'm so grateful for these two brothers who not only had a love for me, but our church, but most of all Christ. We all have an ability at the very least, availability and showing up and saying, whatever we need, I'll do it for the sake of Christ and his people. And I can go on and on and list a lot of other people who helped us pivot to our online services, who helped get our Sunday space ready, our city outreach team, our justice team, and the list goes on and on. Um, and quite frankly, a lot of people don't want to be mentioned because they're uh, they don't want any attention to be brought to themselves. 
But we need all of God's people to be activated to not only serve our church, uh, but our city as well. And what we want to avoid is MSG or Barclays Center. When you watch a basketball game, what do you see? 10 people dripping in sweat, working and busting their tails off, while 20,000 people are spectating, eating popcorn, just showing up, wanting to be served, rather than serving others. That's what we do not want to be. But we want to be a body that is highly equipped and activated to not only be served, but to serve uh, as well. And so Peter goes on in verse 10a, and he says, each of you should use whatever you, gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of those gifts. Everything that you have from your life to your physical body, to your intellect, to your skill sets, your unique personality, your time, your money, that is a gift that was given to you that you have to faithfully steward or manage is another way of saying it and not waste it. Can I give you a story about this? Uh, 20 years ago when Pastor Gene and I were roommates in seminary, and by the way, every story I tell about Pastor Gene is true. All right, none of that is lie. You can't lie from the pulpit. But there was a, uh, a day I remember I, I asked him, um, could you, for those of you who remember, could you burn me a CD mix <laughs> of, uh, it was either Beethoven or Bach, because I like to, uh, when I was in grad school, I liked to listen to classical music when I was studying. And um, to put 20 years ago into context, it, it took a little bit of work to uh, illegally download music from Napster. So, but he did it. And then one day, he sat on the couch, our plethora couch, uh, and he found the CD in its case unopened underneath our couch. I didn't even open it. And it wasn't because it was all stolen goods, uh, but I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have. I wasted this gift that was given to me. Now that's, that's just a CD. Imagine if someone gives you life. They give you breath today. They give you gifts and talent, time, money, the skill sets that you all have, and you bury it underneath a couch. How do you think the giver of that gift would feel? Probably a little bit hurt. And that is what God does with us. He provides us these gifts, but are you faithfully managing and stewarding these gifts well? Now, there's a part of you that might think, of course, Take a look at my GCAL. My GCAL is full. Of course I'm faithfully living my life and not wasting it. But just so you know, just because you're busy, it doesn't mean that you're busy doing the right things. If you're busy doing the wrong things, did you know that busyness can even be a form of laziness? And when you're busy doing the wrong things, you're using your talents for the wrong things. 
This is why Thomas Merton once said this, people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. Just because you're busy, it doesn't mean that you're faithfully stewarding all of the gifts that God has given to you. John Stott, in his very classic book, Basic Christianity, gives a very visual uh, that's helpful. And he says that God's order is God first, other second, and then self third. But sin reverses this order, and sin's order is self first, other second, and God last. And so if you're using the gifts, the borrowed gifts that God has given to you for your own little kingdom, the kingdom of self, rather than stewarding it for the sake of others, we are not faithfully managing the gifts that God has given to us. This is why Peter goes on to say in verse 10a and 11b, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power uh, forever and ever. To be human is to be a meaning-seeking, purpose-seeking creature. Uh, but if we're not living for the right things but the wrong things, what inevitably happens will, will be an experience of emptiness that takes place in our lives. I've been quoting uh, Matthew Perry, a.k.a. Chandler, uh, quite a bit the past few weeks. Um, and in his autobiography, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing, many of you know he, he nearly died multiple times because of his addictions. And, he, and Perry goes on to say this, there has to be more. Why did you spare me? He's talking to God. I'm ready. Give me the direction and I will follow it. I seek the answer every day. I am a seeker. I seek God. I want that connection to, uh, to, to something bigger than me because I'm convinced it's the only thing that will truly save my life. I don't want to die. I'm scared to die. And so what Perry is looking for is something to live for that's bigger than just family, having kids, um, making money, or even being on friends. He's looking for something to connect to that's bigger than that. And what is there bigger than God himself? So the question is, but why God? Why live for God? Why serve God? So I want you to think about what a gift is for a moment. A gift is different from a wage. A gift is something that is freely given. A wage is something that you have to earn and work for. Okay? A gift is something that you didn't deserve, but it's undeserved. A wage is something that you do deserve. And while God has given us all a variety of different gifts, there is one gift that he has given to us all in common, and it's his greatest gift, and it's his son. We did nothing to deserve him or merit him, but he was a gift that was given to us. And the way that he lived his life was not to serve himself, but the totality of his, his existence was also to serve us. Best example of that is actually the cross, where he does not live for himself, but he is there to forgive our sins and to reconcile us back to God the Father. And if he died for us, you know what that means at the very least? 
At the very least, we are called to live for him. This has happened to me a handful of times in my life, and I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but have you ever uh, gotten a gift that was so great that you couldn't accept it? It's to me like a handful of times in my life. And the reason for that is because when you receive a, great, a gift that is that great, there's a, it's sort of like indebtedness that you feel to that person because it's so great, and, that, and rightly so. And God has given us his greatest gift. But oftentimes the way that we is not with a sense of indebtedness. But we take his son and we put him under the couch. When someone gives you a gift that is so great, the natural response is a sense of indebtedness to the other person for what they have done. If you truly understand how awesome uh, this gift is. And when you do, when that coin drops and there's a, a feeling of gratitude, what that does is that it activates you to go out into the world. Jesus did not start a movement with a million dollars or a million people. He started a movement with 12 knuckleheads. And they changed the world because that coin dropped. Our church did not start with a million people or a million dollars. Five people, a few thousand bucks. Now imagine what would happen in our church and in our city if not just five people, but all of God's people were highly equipped, mobilized, and activated to go out into our city and world. Imagine then what would happen. So let me just close with this. One of my favorite thought leaders and authors is Simon Sinek. And Sinek says that when a small team is committed to a bigger cause than themselves, they can achieve anything. And Sinek goes on to say that if you work hard for something you don't care about, you know what that is? Stress. But when you work hard for something that you care about, you know what that is? Passion. And when you give people passion, they will run through a brick wall for something that they believe in. Do you believe in this? Do you want to see this take place in our city? Do you want to live for something that is bigger than your own portfolio? I can't think of anything bigger than this. Happiness comes from the things that we do and experience, but fulfillment comes from why we do it. Do you want to live a fulfilled life in following Christ? I think we all do. And when we do that, we can not only see our church change, but we can have a vision for our city change. I was praying this uh, past Thursday, and um, you know, I'm not a super, I have a Pentecostal background, by the way, uh, but I was, I was praying this week, and so take, take it for what it is, okay? I was praying this week, Thursday night, cigar, drink, and I could not help, because the wind was blowing on my face. There's wind tunnels everywhere through our city, and I could not help but pray, God, would your spirit move through our city like the wind rushes through wind tunnels through our streets? 
and revive our city again. That's something I'm praying for, but it's gonna take collegiality and activation of God's people if we're gonna see this. Let's pray together. Father, help us to faithfully steward the gifts that you have given to us. Help us not to waste it. From what I remember, there's actually a parable of some people that wasted their talents and their gifts. Help us to be the kind of people that live for something bigger than ourselves. And so give us a vision for that and a passion for that. In your name I pray, amen.